sin brings strife, it brings suffering, and it brings sorrow. Studying the life of Hosea and Gomer reveals all of those things. It's such a sad study, and yet such a necessary study, for us to consider all the things that occur in this great message from the prophet. I have continued over the past several weeks to read the whole book of Hosea over and over again. Every time you read those chapters, you think about Hosea and the suffering that he endured. You tend to think about how unnecessary it was for Gomer to inflict all of that sadness upon him. And yet you are also forced to realize that the message of Hosea and Gomer is not really about them. It's about God and about his people. And about the sadness, the sorrow that God experiences when you and I put sin in our life. I want to begin by pointing out, facing up to our failures is never easy. When you're dealing with your husband or your wife, your brother, your sister, and you're dealing with them and they make you aware of your failings, that's never easy to listen to. I don't know if you've had somebody come to you and say, this little habit you have, or that little habit you have, really annoys me. I don't know, perhaps, if you have realized that there have been some times when each of us have had some very strong failures in our lives. Never easy to listen to. But being forced to listen to them publicly in court is embarrassing and belittling. You know, it's one thing to be told something privately. But once it becomes public, it is truly embarrassing. How many of us would like this morning for someone to come and to read a list of our failures and faults before the audience? I don't want that, and I don't think you want that. But what about God? As he puts away his people Israel, the word divorce is the proper word. In Jeremiah 3 and verse 8, Then I saw for all the causes for which backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away, and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. God said, the northern kingdom, Israel, he said, I put her away. You must visualize in your mind. When you study the book of Hosea is... Hosea is trying to get Israel, the northern kingdom, to do what is right. By the time Jeremiah writes, 
It's over. God has walked out the door. But as you're ready to appear in court with God, what will you say? I realize Job is much different and the circumstances of his suffering are entirely another matter. But I think the words of Job well reflect the point that I'm trying to make. In Job chapter 9, Job is looking and he looks at his life and he sees the suffering, the sadness, the sorrow that is there. And he is pleading, I want to know why. In Job 9 and verse 19, if it is a matter of strength, indeed he is strong. And if it is a matter of justice, who will appoint my day in court? Who will allow me the day to be able to present my side of this concern? You drop down with me to verse 27. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and wear a smile. I am afraid of my sufferings. I know that you will not hold me innocent. If I am condemned, why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and cleanse my hands with soap, yet you will plunge me into the pit, and my own clothes will abhor me. Now listen carefully as Job now begins to express this. For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Let him take away his rod from me, and do not let his or let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. Job is sad because he realizes that when you and I stand with God in court, we will never win. God is always the one who is 100% right, correct, never made a mistake in any matter whatsoever. If the burden falls, it's always going to fall on me. It's always my mistake, not God's. And Job recognizes that. Job recognizes we do not stand toe-to-toe with God to say that we're on an even plane. He is not a man. He is God. And as we prepare to study Hosea chapter 4, I want us to look at four things, or three things, in chapter 4. Verses 1 and 2, as Brother Bobby read just a few moments ago, presents the charge that God levels against his people. In verses 3 through 5, he will address the consequences that come from the sin of man. And then verses 6 through 19, we'll look at the causes of it. If you will, keep your Bibles open. Let's go through this chapter of God's Word. I want to read again verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. 
For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There's no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing, and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. You see, there are times when God allows the people to present their side. In fact, he calls on them to present their side. When the contemporary prophet Micah was writing, he allowed the people of the southern kingdom to Judah to present their side. Of course, we know from Job that there's nothing for them to present. But in this case, God does not allow Israel to say anything because Israel has nothing to say. Listen to Micah 6, 3 through 5. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. He said, I want you to testify. What have I done to you? And what God does through Micah is to say, I've only done good for you. No evil whatsoever. But God has a charge. The King James uses the word controversy. It's a legal term here. God has to level a charge against Israel. What are they? No truth. There's no honesty among the people. Nobody is telling what is right. No mercy. They have no concern for their fellow man. No love for him. There's no knowledge of God in the land. Oh yes, they know who Jehovah, Yahweh, the I am that I am is, but they are not recognizing him as God. They're not giving him his due respect. Now these failures bring about some action. They start showing themselves in the things they do. And so he says, there's nothing but swearing. And sometimes when you see the word swearing, you tend to think of people who use profanity. People who curse like they do on television all the time. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about swearing falsely. A person who makes a promise. A person who claims to be a witness. In Hosea 10 and verse 4, they have spoken words swearing falsely, making a covenant. Do you know what a covenant is? It's an agreement. Two people shake hands and, and they will say, I'll agree to do this. Yes, yes, I, I'm going to promise to do that. You know what happens? They don't do it. Here they swear falsely in a covenant with God. Hosea 7 verse 1 when I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was uncovered and the wickedness of Samaria, for they have committed fraud. 
Fraud is when a person tells you something, they represent something to you, and you believe it, you act upon it, and you find out it's false. These people have no truth whatsoever. He talks about lying. That goes along with that. Exodus 20 and verse 16, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Then he says killing. Exodus 20 verse 13, You shall not murder. Stealing. Exodus 20 and verse 15, You shall not steal. They were committing adultery. Exodus 20 and verse 14, You shall not commit adultery. He said they break all restraint. God's word takes us and prescribes a certain set of behavior. And there are always people who will say, I'm not going to do that. Some of you children are going back to school. And you know when you get there, your teacher says, okay, now when we go to lunch, we're going to go in a single file line. And then that teacher will explain to you, maybe you're in the fifth grade, what a single file line means. One right after the other. You know what's going to happen? One little boy named Tony is going to decide he wants to walk side by side with his friend. You know what's going to happen? I'll tell you what will happen years ago. You got a spanking for it. Because you broke restraint. You didn't do it the way it had been prescribed to be done. Do you realize God prescribes behavior? And there are some people who will say, I don't care what God said. I'll do what I want to do. That's what's going on. That's the why God has a charge against Israel. Now look with me, verses 4 and 5. Therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, even the fishes of the sea will be taken away. Now let no man contend or rebuke one another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. Therefore you shall stumble in the day, and the prophets also shall stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother. When you look at this, the big picture is simply this. Sometimes the sins of other people cause those around them to suffer, both things and people. You let a drunk man come into a home, you know what he does? He causes mama to suffer, he causes the children to suffer. He causes the dog to suffer. He causes his house to suffer. His car to suffer. Why? Because he's a drunk. Everything he touches has suffering to go with it. When you look at the fact that God is going to have to put away the children of Israel, he said the land is going to mourn. What does he mean by that? Look with me at verse 4. This is a passage when I study that sometimes I say, well, do I deal with the background, some of the difficult passages? Yes, we're going to deal with that. Notice verse 4, he says, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. You may tend to think that, well, he's saying the priest is a good guy and you're the person who's arguing with the priest. 
But in the context, if you look at verse 6 and verse 9, he says, I will reject you from being priest before me. Verse 9, he says, and it shall be like people like priest. The problem is here that the priest is not doing his job. And all the people are in the same condition. The stumbling precedes the falling. He said, you will stumble and so will your prophets. When you see the people, you see the priest, and you see the prophets, it's just like Jeremiah 5.31. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests bear rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? Now, very quickly, this is the largest section, verses 6 through 19, the causes. We're not going to be able to go verse by verse and detail by detail, but let me read this to you and then we'll notice some summary. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest before me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I changed their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. For they shall eat, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry, but not increase, because they have ceased obeying the Lord. Harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. My people ask counsel from wooden idols, and their staff informs them, for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have played the harlot against their God. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops. And burn incense on the hills, under oaks, under poplars, and terebinths, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters shall commit, or therefore your daughters commit harlotry, and your bribes commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your bribes when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots. And offer sacrifices with the ritual harlot. Therefore people who do not understand will be trampled. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend. Do not come up to Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Avon, nor swear an oath, saying, As the Lord lives, for Israel is, like, is stubborn like a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in open country. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. The wind has wrapped her up in its wings. And they shall be ashamed of their sacrifices. There are several causes which brought about the sin, the suffering, and the sorrow. 
The very first one we will observe is a lack of knowledge. These people are spiritually illiterate. Hosea 4 and verse 6, For my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But you know, one of the things that so many times we read over that and we lose the fact that the latter part of that verse says that these people, God said, I will reject you from being priests for me. He's talking to the priest. And see, if you understand, these priests have rejected their responsibility. Do you know God's design for the Old Testament was is that when he brought Israel into the land, he chose 48 Levitical cities to put each of these priests in and they would be there so the people could come to them. Malachi 2 verse 7 says, For the lips of the priest should keep knowledge and the people should seek the law from his mouth for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. The priest was placed everywhere among the people so that when the people wanted to know what should I do, you go to the priest. He will tell you. If the priest doesn't know and the priest is not teaching, what's going to happen to the people? What will happen is a progressive apostasy. Now, I want you to know what's happened to us. United States. When I was a child, I can remember the beginning of the school day. We would stand and say the Pledge of Allegiance. Then somebody would go to the office and read the Bible over the intercom system, and everybody in the school would hear the Bible being read. And then in our class, we would have a prayer. Along about 1963, 64, took a little longer for Alabama because we're always a little bit slower than everything else. Those things started disappearing from the local schools. And folks, now we have a generation that does not know God because God's Word is no longer being taught to our children and we're suffering the consequences of it. And here's one of the causes. What happens? 2 Timothy 3.13 says, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Society will always get worse when God's Word is not in the minds of His people. Well, why did these priests not do what they were supposed to do? Why were they not teaching the people? Two reasons, greed and lust. Notice with me verses 8 through 11 again, particularly verse 8. They eat up the sin of my people. They have set their heart on iniquity. I inserted the word offerings because the original word there for sin is really the sin offering. They're eating up the sin offering of the people. They're taking it in. And somebody says, well, I don't understand that. I'll give you a great Bible commentary on that. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, Eli had two sons who were serving in the temple of the Lord. And Samuel records to us why they were so ungodly. He said, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. 
They did not know the Lord. Folks, that ought to be underlined in your Bible somewhere. They did not know the Lord. These are the priests. And they didn't know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the pot, the cauldron, and the priest would take up for himself all the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh when all the Israelites came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come to the man who sacrificed, Give me meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if a man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. The sons of Eli would not be satisfied with just getting what their normal portion would be. They wanted it all, fat and all, raw rather than boiled. Verse 17, therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. When people were sacrificing during the days of Eli, they hated it. They looked at it just like we might look at taxes. You drop down a little bit to verse 22. Now Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, how they lay with women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The second thing that you notice about them is they were led by idols. They asked wood carvings. They had the spirit of harlotry because their shave was good. That's found in verses 12 and 13. He was said to them that the women, the brides, would not be charged with their harlotry and with their adultery. Why? He says in the middle of verse 14, for the men themselves go apart with harlots. They learned it from the men. Everybody was sinning before God. Verse 18, he said they drink, their drink is rebellion. And in verse 18, the rulers loved it. Now I'm just about out of time, but I'm going to take this last part. Because as I have gone through this, I'm sure most of you in your mind, that's people... They lived about 3,000 years ago. I can see their sins as plain as day. I can see what they were doing, what they were saying, how they were living. And man, they were deserving of all God's judgment. Folks, sometimes we have to turn around and say, okay, now what does that mean to us today? First thing it means is that Christians who fail to study cannot challenge preachers and teachers and anybody who teaches a false doctrine who teaches error. Acts 17, verse 11 said, These were more fair-minded, more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. You ought not accept anything that comes from this pulpit unless you yourself can verify that that's what the Bible teaches. If that is what the Bible teaches, accept it. If it's not, reject it and confront it. Elders, preachers, and teachers, and Christians are to know the Word and teach the Word. 
In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2, the last one of those qualifications mentioned in that verse was able to teach. With regards to preachers in 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 and 2, he says, preach the word. Any preacher who will not come up and take the Bible as the text and preach the text, then he is not doing what God expects him to do. And Christians must grow or mature or they will be susceptible to falling. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he's talked about the scoffers and what all they would say. And he says, You therefore, beloved, knowing these things beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness but being led away by the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians 4.15, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things to him who is the head, even Christ. You see, the Israelites tried to be God's people while at the same time worshiping and following their idols. We sometimes try to be God's people while trying to pursue every form of pleasure that's found in our age. And both, whether it's them or us, would be committing spiritual adultery. James writes, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God and whoever would make himself a friend of the world has made himself an enemy of God? The truth is, the sin that brought the strife, the suffering, and the sorrow had but one solution. And in our lives, sin that brings strife, that brings suffering and brings sorrow has but one solution. And that is, it is time to repent. If you're here and you're not a Christian, please, this morning, don't let this opportunity pass you by. As a child of God, if there's sin in your life that needs to be corrected, Now is the time. Would you respond as together we stand and sing?